Thank you for downloading this episode of the Mac Report Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our subscribers over at themacreport.com. Their support allows us to bring you our coverage of Merrimack Athletics. If you are a subscriber, I thank you. And if you're interested in becoming a subscriber and gaining access to all of our coverage, head on over to themacreport.com today and sign up. If you don't want to subscribe but still want to support us, please rate and review our podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you to our subscribers for making our coverage possible. And now, on to this week's episode. You know, as crazy as it sounds, a bye week in the middle of February, when we looked at that on paper back in October, I think everybody agreed, and I think I even wrote this, that you don't want a bye week the middle of February. You're in the middle of your stretch run, and you got to take a week off. It can be a distraction and maybe break some momentum for you if you're playing well and getting good results. Well, I think in Merrimack's case, uh, when you're not getting good results, I think they're playing well, but when you're not getting good results, maybe the break came at a good time. And I think I wrote that after the main game when things just really fell apart. Merrimack had a 2-0 lead against Maine two weeks ago. Give up two shorthanded goals on the same power play. Oh, on the same power play. That doesn't happen very often. Two shorthanded goals. A minute four apart. End up losing that game in overtime and then have to go on a one-week break. You know what? At that point, well, you've played pretty good hockey, and you've lost three overtime games in a row <laughs> and, and had a lead, especially in that, that last game before the break against Maine. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think a break from the rink for a little bit might not be a bad thing. And that's what Merrimack had last weekend. They had the weekend off. So we talked with Scott Borg today. He's going to tell us what they did on the break. thought it was interesting. They, did, they gave him a couple days off. They came back after the main game and took Monday and Tuesday off, a rarity to have two off days in a row over the course of the college hockey season, and then got back to work last Wednesday, practiced Wednesday to Saturday, took Sunday off, and then started with a normal week this week on Monday. So hopefully the break was a good little mental reset for a team that I think was in in dire need of a mental reset. And again, over the, the last five games, since the 5-1 loss to Northeastern, uh, really, the next night they lost to Northeastern 1-0. I thought they played well in that game. thought they played well in both games up at Vermont. Better on Friday, but but well in both of those games. thought they played fine against UNH. I would shot UNH 33-15, like, or 32-15, whatever it was. They, they played really well in that game. And for long stretches against Maine, played well as well. But it's a results-oriented business. They didn't get the results that they wanted. So I think mentally that can be frustrating. And a break from hockey for a week probably was a good thing. It was a blessing in disguise. Because, again, back in October when we're reacting to the schedule and looking at it, and I don't think anybody looked at a, a bye week in the middle of February and thought it was a good thing. It's the worst thing in the world if you're playing well. I mean, look at... <laughs> For, for no better example, look at Merrimack's Christmas break. They're playing really well in the first half, 13-4 and four going into the break. Had beaten Providence on the road that last game, and you know what? Uh, 
the break did them bad, <laughs> clearly, because they, they haven't been the same team since they've come back. The first half of January was awful. I think since the game at Matthews Arena, though, it's been a lot better. The signs are there that it's been a lot better. They just haven't gotten the results. And again, it's a results-oriented business. You, at the end of the day, you need to get results. But we can look at these games and think and determine and, and analyze them a little bit and say, well, has there been a difference from the beginning of January through the second part of January and into the first week of February? Yes, there has been. There's been a big difference. They've played a lot better in these last five games than they did in the first six coming out of the break. There's no question. I, I thought the, the weekend against Yale and Brown was the low point. And, and, and really, in reality, that was two weekends. It was the Dartmouth tournament was not a good weekend. The the Yale and Brown weekend was not a good weekend. Those are the two worst weeks of the year. I, I think the Brown-Yale weekend was the worst weekend of the year. Then they come back the week after that. They split with Providence. Okay, it's a decent weekend. Weekend after that, they got swept by Northeastern. The Friday game, I didn't think was very good. The Saturday game, I thought they played very well. They just ran into a goaltender that was really good, and they weren't able to get a puck over the line. It's a one nothing game. The week after that, up in Vermont, played excellent on Friday. The Friday game at Vermont was probably the best game they've played in the second half, in my opinion. Dominated the five-on-five play in that game. Wasn't even close. I don't. That's the game where I don't think uh, Vermont had a scoring chance until four minutes left in the second period. They barely sniffed the net. Second night against UVM, it, it was more of a 50-50 game. Vermont wins the game in overtime. Okay. UNH, again, thought they played well overall, especially at 5-on-5. Five five. Come out of it with an overtime loss. The, 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 the story at UNH was bad play in the defensive zone. They were really bad in the defensive zone. They made a couple of big mistakes, and it led to UNH goals. Again, we're going back two weeks, but that was the story of the UNH series. A couple of really bad mistakes that ended up in the back of their net, which you can't afford to have at any point. Coming down the stretch, you really can't afford to have them. But that's really what the story of the UNH game was. Overall, for 57 minutes of that game, they played really good hockey. They made a few big mistakes in their own end, and the puck ended up in the back of their net. Two days later, up at Maine, same thing. Played well for most of that game. Large stretches. You go on the power play in the third period, two big mistakes are made on the power play. Scott Bork talked about it. You'll hear it later on. Two big mistakes are made on one power play, a minute and four seconds apart. And two pucks ended up in the back of their net. And then Lyndon Breen was just a monster, and <laughs> that, that plays a role too. And then you give up the overtime goal, had a couple of chances in the overtime. But but that's really been the story. I, I think defensively it's been it's been a series of big mistakes that have resulted in goals against, which again, you can't afford to have. You, you got to find a way to limit those. You can't make those mistakes. You just can't. Not if you want to beat good teams. But in totality, if we're judging the way that they've played 
in totality over this this stretch of the last five games, I think there's far more positives than negatives. The the issue has been the, the few negatives that there have been have been big enough that they've resulted in goals against, and it's prevented it's prevented them from winning games. That's why I think it feels worse in 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 the long run. Because those big, they haven't been able to recover from those mistakes. They haven't been able to make up for those mistakes. Those those handful of mistakes, three against UNH, two against Maine, at the end of the day, cost them two regulation wins. So that, to me, is, is the focus going forward. I, I think they're talented enough that they're going to score goals. I don't see that being a problem. I think they're going to score. They need to play mistake-free hockey from the red line back. And if you look at the numbers, what's really hurt them over this stretch has been goals against, not goals for. They're scoring enough goals. What's really hurt them has been goals against. Six goals given up to Providence. Six goals given up to Brown. Three goals given up to a Yale team that stinks. Eight goals given up against Providence. Five against Northeastern. That's That was the low point, January 20th. January 21st, one nothing loss to Northeastern. Okay, that's the one game where I think you can look at it and say their, their offense could have bailed them out there. But again, you're playing the best goalie in the country. 4-2 win at Vermont. I thought that was the best they've played. 2-1 overtime loss at Vermont. Eh, again, you don't feel real good about that, but I thought they played excellent in that game at Vermont. thought they played really well in the third period in that game at Vermont. You're going to have nights like that. And then the New Hampshire and Maine games were just a, a series of mistakes. A series of mistakes that ended up with pucks going in the back of their net. Five big ones. And it's, it's added up to three overtime losses in a row. But what's crazy, and you can criticize certain aspects of, the, of, their, of their play. You can criticize the power play. I mean, I think it's a little short-sighted, honestly, to just criticize the power play based on two shorthanded goals. <laughs> I, I think, I mean, anybody can do that. Anybody can look at that and go, oh, they gave up two shorthanded goals. Power play's been bad. Yeah, no kidding. But, I mean, wh- I, again, when I look at power plays, what are they creating for scoring chances? Because ultimately, that's what's going to result in goals. Score, you, need, you need to create scoring chances in order to create goals. That's how it works. And I know their power play efficiency numbers are, are poor and have been poor since the, since the break, especially. As I have pointed out in the past, power play efficiency, by far the worst stat in hockey. I wish, I mean, I don't even pay attention to it. I honestly don't. I don't even look at it. I don't look at what teams are percentage-wise on the power play or the penalty kill because it's an awful stat. Every power play is not equal. You have five-second power plays. You have five-minute power plays. None of them are equal. So I I don't look at them. I, I don't think the power play efficiency stat is a stat that is worth looking at at all. I think shooting percentage on the power play is worth looking at, and I think goals per minute on the power play is worth looking at. But power play efficiency, 
again, I, I have not looked at it all year. I think it's an absolutely terrible stat. It doesn't tell you anything. In Merrimack's power play shooting percentage, their shooting percentage on the power play, it's it hasn't been terrific. It could be better. It could especially be better in the second half. Their power play shooting percentage right now is at 10.8%. It is over 10, which I think you, you need it to be. Their even strength shooting percentage is 8.5%. So they're about 2.3% better on the power play than they are at even strength. There's teams that are upside down, which doesn't make a lot of sense, and that means your power play is real bad. If you're shooting, if you're if you're a worse shooting team on the power play than you are at even strength, <laughs> doesn't say a lot about your power play. I think the really good power plays, shooting percentage-wise, the really good power plays are somewhere in the neighborhood of 12, 13%, and Merrimack's at 10.8. So slightly below what I would consider to be a, a decent power play. And I think that's a more worthwhile stat to look at because, again, yeah, it can be affected by how many shots you're getting through on the power play, but for the most part, the longer you're on the power play, the more shots you're going to have on the power play. So I just think that's a more worthwhile stat to look at than just power play goals and power play chances. I think it's, it's I think that doesn't tell us anything. Goals per minute, I don't have those. I have to run those numbers separately because nobody tracks them, but we could figure that out. It's the same reason why I like looking at save percentage on the penalty kill. And save percentage on the penalty kill is not necessarily up to the goaltender. It's linked to their names, but you're you're a five-man defending unit when you're killing five on four. You got the goaltender and four penalty killers. You got guys blocking shots. If the penalty killers are doing their job and getting in lanes and the goaltender's seeing the puck. So again, what's the difference? Well, Merrimack's even strength save percentage is at 922. Their shorthanded save percentage is 864. So I think if you were to just look at the this is where I, where I think the efficiency numbers are not good numbers to look at. If you look at their efficiency numbers, you would look at their power play at 13.2% and go, "Oh, that's not very good." And their penalty kill at 81.3% and be like, well, that's that's not very good either. But I think it'd be easy to look at those numbers and say, well, you know what? Their power play has probably been worse than their penalty kill based on those numbers. But based on the, the data that I think actually matters, the power play has been okay and the penalty kill could be better. You want to have a better than an 864 save percentage on the penalty kill. That means that teams are shooting somewhere in the neighborhood of 13. 6% against you on the, on the PK. So Merrimack is shooting 10.8% and opponents are shooting 13.6% on the power play against Merrimack. So yeah, you, you, you want to see that be a little bit better. It also doesn't, the efficiency numbers also don't take into account the goals that are scored immediately following power plays expiring. And I think they've had three of them over the last three games where they've scored a power play goal literally within seconds of the power play expire. Within 5, 10 seconds, they've scored a power play goal. Or they've scored an even strength goal, which could have easily been a power play goal. 
there's been three of them. So if you add those three, those <laughs> this is why it's so you can manipulate these numbers so much. If you add those three power play goals and you say, yeah, those are all scored as power play goals, their power play would be 15.7%. But two and a half points better than it is right now. You know, ideally, I, I guess if you were to look at it, you can say, well, 20% is probably a, a nice, efficient power play. I don't know. Again, I think it's a bad stat. That's why I don't pay attention to it. I'd rather look at, at shooting percentage. And I do think, look, it is lower than what I would like to see it. 10.8%. I, I, I think you really want to see that be around 13. 13 or 14. You want goaltenders to have somewhere around an 860, 870 save percentage against you on the penalty kill. And Merrimack right now at 10.8% is at about 8. You know, 880, eight, about 898, what is it, 898, 898. So a little bit below 900. But you really want to see that around 860, 870. I mean, Merrimax is 864. So, yeah, the, the power play could be better, but I don't think it's as bad as the numbers necessarily show that it has been on just the efficiency stats alone. Now, the shorthanded goals are a different story. You, you do have to find a way to clean up the shorthanded goals. They've given up eight of them this year, which I think is most in the country. And they've given up more than one in multiple games. They gave, gave up two against Brown. They gave up two against New Ham, against Maine. That, to me, is the bigger concern than success rate on the power play. They've got to figure out a way to stop allowing shorthanded goals. That's a killer. That's a killer. So that is a much bigger issue, I think, than scoring on the power play is at the moment. At the moment. Because I I think their shooting percentage is okay. It's slightly below average on on the power play. It needs to be a little bit better. But you can't be, you know, starting in a minus eight hole because you've given up eight shorthanded goals. That's what really needs to be cleaned up. If your power play is slightly below average, but you're not giving up shorthanded goals, you're fine. You'll be good enough. They'd have, I mean, look, if the shorthanded goals had been better, they, they, it would have won them a game against Maine. That Maine game never would have got to overtime. So it's not necessarily the, the, the scoring on the power play that I see as being the issue. The issue on the power play, believe it or not, you don't say this very often, has been their, the, the way in which they've defended on the power play. They, they allow too many chances to teams that are shorthanded. That is what has to be cleaned up. That's what has to be better. And I think overall it would make their power play look better. But that to me is really the number one concern. When it comes to special teams, they need to figure out a way. Let's start with the big things first, and let's attack things one at a time. They have to figure out a way to stop allowing shorthanded goals because they've allowed way too many of them. And it did get to the point where it cost them some games. So that is the number one priority. That's really... I don't know that I've ever said this before or or ever went into a game thinking this. But that's going to be something that I really pay attention to tomorrow and this weekend. Is what what does their power play look like defensively? You don't say that very often. You know, that's not something you generally look at. But uh, there's a lot to clean up there, and it needs to be better. So it will it will definitely be a focus, I think. I think it will definitely be a, fo- it'll be a focus of mine anyway. 
and just watching, is their structure better there? Are they not giving up as many chances? Look, another way you can defend on the power play? <laughs> you just have the puck. If you have the puck, they don't. But what I think is a little scary, especially against a team like BU, is I think that, that BU team is aggressive, they're skilled, and I think that now it's happened enough where they've, you know, this Merrimack team has given up enough shorthanded goals where I think there are some teams that are going to try to attack that area. I think they're going to try to attack shorthanded because I think they believe that there could be some openings there. So the Warriors really need to be aware of that, and I think really need to be careful of it. And I think they really need to be careful of it against a team like Boston University because I think it, you know, BU is the type of team that I think can take advantage of that more, more, than, more so than other teams, really. More so than other teams. All right, well, let's get right to it. We're going to get to Scott Bork in just a second. Like I said, Merrimack and BU this weekend uh, at Lawler on Friday, at Aganis on Saturday. Let's talk to the head coach of the Warriors, Scott Borg, all about this weekend's series. All right, after a week off, Merrimack is back in action this weekend. The Warriors take on Boston University Friday night at Lawler Arena and Saturday down at Aganis Arena. Coach Bork is with us. And, Coach, uh, we talked after the main game a couple of weeks ago, and, and we were talking about the bye week coming up. It's kind of a weird time to have one, but... In retrospect, being able to look back on it now, was it a good time to have a little bit of a break considering, you know, what had been going on there going into the break with a, a couple of overtime losses strung out in a row? Yeah, no, I, I actually, given how the season at that point was and the frustration level we were feeling just because, you know, our last three, our last five games, obviously all of them on the road, but, you know, we lost game one nothing, which was essentially an overtime. Then we lost three overtime games. Uh, and obviously the win in between, but it was a very frustrating stretch for our team. We weren't playing poorly, uh, which makes it more frustrating because you can't point at something. And getting the break and getting a chance to take a foot out the gas and get uh, get a little bit healthier and just get the group back together and you know without that negativity was really positive. How'd you guys approach it? Did you guys take a couple of days off last week where you had no games last weekend, or was it just kind of a regular week of practice? No, you know, we played that main game on a Sunday, um, and then uh, and I, I, you know, you get very few uh, opportunities to give your team two days in a row off, and people talk about days off all the time. We give them a day off here, day off there, but the single day to me is a great mental rest, uh, but the two days in a row was a great physical rest. So we gave them Monday and Tuesday off, and came back on Wednesday and practiced Wednesday through Saturday. Sunday off and then practice this week and it was really good I, I thought our practices last week were really good I thought our team was playing at a high level a uh, great level to compete great energy level um, I was really happy with it you know I mean this team has been through a lot of ups and downs and obviously some real lows and um, you know I think that we just have to stay out of um, other people's heads and get in our own and just do what we do and I, I felt we got back to that this week uh, I was interested in your thoughts on the power play because it was one, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago before the UNH and Maine games, but the power play is, is it's an interesting one because I think power play, the power play efficiency stat, the power play success stat, I think is one of the worst stats in hockey because not every power play is the same. Uh, 
Some are two minutes, some are five minutes, some could be, you know, a second and a half, depending upon what happens. Uh, And it also doesn't take into consideration what you guys had a couple of times where goals that came, you know, within 10 seconds of a power play expiring, which I think happened like three times over the last five games or something like that. So it's kind of, I don't really like the stat overall, but what did you see from the power play going into the break? Because one of the things that did stand out, obviously, was, and we talked about it, was the two two shorthanded goals that Maine had scored in that Sunday game. did you take time to pay attention to that unit at all? Were there some tweaks made? What, what did you kind of see from that unit coming out and, and going into the bye week? Play for sure. Uh, and to be honest with you, the biggest thing I did with the power play was to show them how close they were to being successful. Um, you know, I think we have a really good group of guys and a really good group of you know, guys on the power play who understand the level of responsibility that's on them when those five run the ice and, there's another 15 on the bench who wish they were in that situation. So you're getting the opportunity, and that's that's a responsibility. Um, I, I think they take that to heart, and I felt like they really um, – they just – they were so frustrated with what happened at Maine, obviously as I was, but as and as everybody was, um, that it was important for them to know how close they were to being successful instead of – focusing on not being successful in, those, in that situation. Uh, up until that power play, that particular power play, where we gave up two shorthanded goals, we had kind of played pretty well on the power play. We had created some chances. We were pretty good. And we just had two guys make offensive decisions when the defensive decision was warranted. Uh, Lyndon Breen, who obviously was on a mission in that game, played great and created two great opportunities, and that's that's what happened. So. You know, we were in a tough situation right there, but I think we bounced back from it okay, and I think we had a really good week on the power play. So hopefully that continues. It's kind of interesting, too, because I, th- I feel like the – I don't even want to call it issues on the power play, but, you know, it's one of the things where it's kind of encapsulated the whole – the whole last couple of weeks where you could play really well on the power play, but those couple of mistakes end up in the back of your net. And it was kind of the same way overall, where, like you said, you played played some good hockey over that stretch against UNH, against Maine, up until the middle of the third period, and still just a couple of bad mistakes, a couple of bounces, and, and you end up on, on the other side of what, what could have been a win. Uh, was that part of the message too? Just kind of, and is it hard to deliver that message to, to look at a team that maybe isn't getting the results they want, but in totality look at it and say, you know what, we... We, we've, we've done a lot of what we wanted to do. We just maybe didn't end up with the result we wanted. You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I was sick to my stomach after the main game, and um, I realized that obviously it was the power play that, uh, you know, created that situation and got us into the negative mindset. But I will tell you, I, I, I feel like our team has played well in, in those three games. Um I left there at Maine very frustrated with, with the three games we had just points in. Um, but I was encouraged the following weekend when you know, all three of those teams won games again against other teams in the league and, and played well. And I was like, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't be so uh, negative about our team. And, you know, hats off to the success those teams had against us and created um, and move on. And that's, that's what we tried to do this week. And I, I think it's hard for our guys because I think their expectations are really high. Their, their want is really high. And um, when they don't get what they have earned or feel like they've earned, it, it's pretty frustrating. And, um, you know, that's been the last three games in a nutshell. You know, I, I feel like we've, 
know, controlled them until we didn't. And that was usually in overtime when we lost the game. And that's, that's frustrating. But, um, oddly enough for me, uh, I find that a little bit encouraging too, that three teams that had a lot of success the weekend after we played them, uh, I thought we controlled each of those games. So we need to tighten up the uh, power play decision-making, you know, uh, not be as aggressive offensively in situations that require, don't require it. Uh, and be a little bit more responsible defensively uh, and continue to try to generate opportunities to score. And I think what you saw in the, in the, Merrimack, in the main game, Merrimack main game, was a team that hadn't had success in the power play, had been in the zone, created some good chance, but hadn't scored and tried to force the issue. And um, obviously we lost the game because of it. Um, you know, we haven't lost our season because of it, so let's just get back on the horse and keep going. You know, it is interesting, too, because you brought up the, the fact that those teams, UNH and Maine in particular, both went on and had successful weekends last weekend as well. And you kind of look at the whole league, and it feels like every single week there's been so many splits. There's been so many weekends where everybody seems to be beating everybody that with the exception of maybe Northeastern since the beginning of the year, and BU had a couple of hiccups in, in the Beanpot, but they've played really well, too. They're, from three to eleven, it's like everybody's beating everybody on on any given weekend. Uh, does that say a lot about how close a lot of the teams are in the league? It doesn't seem like there's a lot that separates that separates the top teams from from maybe the teams that are near the bottom of the standings right now. I totally agree, and I honestly feel like, and I know that's going to be a big discussion piece at some point, like why the hockey East go from six teams in the tournament to to three or two or one. Um, I really believe that the competitiveness of the league, and I know other leagues, I'm not uh, stupid enough to say that the Big Ten's not really competitive and the NCHC's not really competitive. I know they all are. Um, our league is 11 teams deep right now, and every night is a very difficult task, and you need a really mature team to go into your non-league schedule and have the same mind focus that the um, team does in their game days or their home, you know, their uh, conference play, um, and I think you know it happened to us at break. We took a breath, and now we're in a dogfight. And uh, I think that's going to—I think that's kind of league-wide right now. And I think it's going to be that way till the very, very end. And it's—it's um, it's interesting. I, I don't think there's no way I would tell you that there's someone in the league who's going to win it right now. Nor would I have any idea who's not going to finish in the top five. Like I just think it's. It's so open, you know, one big weekend by a team is going to separate that team because I don't think there's going to be a lot of teams having big weekends. No, no, it hasn't been that way. And it's also, you know, it's an interesting thing too because you guys are in this position along with a couple of other teams, but the fact that as a league they went away from the three-game series and everything's single elimination, we won't know until we get there. But I've been saying for a couple of weeks it it, it might be a situation where a team that, that – could have used that extra win in the quarterfinals. And who knows? I mean, of course, there's no telling whether or not a team would have swept a series instead of just winning the one game if it went to three games and whatnot. But losing that extra win in the quarterfinals with all these teams kind of right on the bubble, it could, act, it could play a role. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm curious, if that were to happen, does the league look to go, to go back to the three-game series in the quarterfinals or stay with the single elimination? I, I don't know. I don't know what the right path is, but there's, there's potential that losing that extra win in the quarterfinals for a team could be what keeps a team out of the tournament, which is crazy. 
It could be. Uh, I think the more important statistic, though, typically is not knocking one of your teams out of the tournament. And, you know, a couple yeah. of years ago when BC had a rough year, they played Providence and beat Providence uh, in a two-out-of-three series. So Providence picked up two losses against a team, I think, that was under 500. And, um, you know, that put them from in the tournament with one loss to out of the tournament with two losses. And so I, I think you can make that argument in both directions all the time. Um, and ultimately, in that situation, Providence had done enough to be in the tournament and losing two playoff games in a two out of three series, the, the number eight seed when you're the number three seed, you know, that's, that's tough. But if you're, if you lose one game in that situation, you've earned the right, I believe through your, throughout your season to continue on with your, your season. And, and so I, I think that argument can go both directions. This year happens to be a unique year and, and it, yeah. it could hurt us. But I, I don't think that's a trend, and I don't think that's something. I think it's more of a trend the other way, frankly. And uh, I love this illumination. And hey, we could be in a situation where we're hosting a game, and one game away from the Boston Garden, having a great, having had a great year for Merrimack to get a home game and a bye. I mean, you and I both know how big that would be for Merrimack hockey and Merrimack yeah. College. And if we lost that game, you know, that would be heartbreaking. But at the end of the day. You know, I, I think that's the way to play. I think that's the way to – our whole season's like that. Like, why why change it? And the NCAA tournament's like that. So why change that? You know, I, I just – we have too, too many things, I think, that we get away from what our game actually is. You obviously know how I feel about three-on-three. Three, and <laughs> it's it's not our game. It's not hockey. It's not how the game's determined. And I don't I, – I don't, I'll never really believe in it. Um we obviously have to improve in it, but I, I'll never believe in it because it's just not how the game's played the whole time. You know, the shootout the same way, even worse. Uh, and in the si- same situation with the playoffs, like we don't do any two out of threes after the quarterfinal round, so then that's the only round you do it. I, I just think that makes the playoffs inconsistent and maybe the results inconsistent. And, and too, I mean, especially if you're going to have all 11 teams in, it might be hard to do – You'd be asking teams from six to eleven to play, you know, a playing game during the week in the first round, and then potentially three games in that weekend. So you're talking about like four games and potentially like six days, uh, or even yeah, six days, which could be a lot. It's, that's, that's not a, a thing you'd ever run into during, over the course of the regular season either. Well, it depends. Unless you're Merrimack, you might get faced with that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, sorry about that scheduling miscue comment. But no, I, I think. The one thing I'll say about that, though, is if you're six to eleven and you have to do that, if they ever went back to two out of three, I, I don't think you should give up everybody in the tournament. You know, the last yeah. few years, you know, this year and last, and last year we would have been in the tournament either way. I still believe in everybody in. It's a non-balanced schedule. It's going to be that way for a long time. I think. Um, even if we added a 12th team, I have a feeling it would be a non-balanced schedule because it wouldn't be enough league games to fill it, and and so I think you might still be unbalanced and. Given those things, I just think you can't really eliminate a team that finishes ninth or tenth that plays the hardest schedule in the league. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, going into this weekend against BU, home and home, uh, Friday at Lawler's, Saturday at Aganis. Uh, what is kind of the the focus for, for your team heading into this weekend? If you had to kind of boil it down to a couple of key things, what are the things you're looking for to, to be successful against BU? 
Number one, I, I really uh, I think it's very important that we play with a lot of poise and patience off of the puck. I mean, we talk about that on the puck a lot, you know, puck management and things, but, you know, you're playing a, t- a possession team, a team that is highly skilled. Uh, I think everybody in the league would agree they're the most skilled team in our league. Um, and I think that you, you just need to make sure you play with a lot of poise without the puck. You know, and, and most of the time you get exposed against a skilled team when you lose your poise. And I thought the way BC beat BU was they stayed between their men and the puck, and they played their own end like it was PK almost. Um, and it looked for the goalie to make the save, then break out off the save, and, you know, stayed between them, all their guys and the puck. And I think that's a hard thing to do uh, when you're, we try to be an attack team, but I think it's a critical thing in this series just because the amount of skill we'll be playing against and the amount of ice we don't want to give them. Uh, so that that's number one is our poise without the puck. And then, and, and really number two is, is getting to their net. You know, um, it's something that we have been inconsistent, I think, in the second half, and we need to get consistently to their net. We know that uh, Drew Comesso is a really talented goalkeeper. Uh, you know, they have uh, five defensemen who are probably going to play at the next level. Um, it won't be easy to get there, but that doesn't mean you can't get there, and we have to find a way to, to get there. All right, Coach. Well, good luck this weekend against BU. From what I heard, uh, Friday's game, it may already be sold out. If not, it's pretty close from what I understand. So it should be another good atmosphere uh, at Lawler on Friday night. Well, you, you know, Mike, and I, and I, uh, I don't want to grandstand at all, but I, I do want it is sold out. But I think that our rank this year, has been unbelievable consistently. I, I love the way our students are so passionate, you know, about the, being at the games and being involved. We, we've talked about the band in the past. It's the best band in college hockey, if you ask me. Like, they're just so involved, and they, they love it. And it's, it, their, their passion for it bleeds into the crowd, and that makes it an exciting building. And, um, and the people on our side of the fence who have, who have done the work to make that happen uh, I'm really appreciative of it, and it's made it a great building all year. And tomorrow will just be another one of those nights, and I uh, hope we can capitalize on it. All right, sounds good. Good luck this weekend. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it. Thanks to Merrimack Head Coach Scott Bork for joining us on the podcast again this week. And thank you, if you're a subscriber over at themacreport.com, for making this podcast in our site possible. If you're not a subscriber, but you'd like to be, all you got to do is go over to themacreport.com. You can sign up from there, and all of our posts will be delivered right to your inbox, and you can get access to all of our coverage covering Merrimack Athletics. Uh, Merrimack and BU, they're going to hook up this weekend, Friday night at Lawler Arena. It does sound like Friday night's game is sold out, but you can try for tickets at the box office or by going to merrimackathletics.com. One quick note about Saturday's game. If you're going down to Gannis Arena, on Saturday night, it's an earlier start time. Just be warned, it's a 6 p.m. start on Saturday. So if you are driving into Boston for the Saturday night game, make sure you go in a little bit early. It'll be a 6 p.m. face-off between Merrimack and BU on Saturday. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks again to our subscribers. Thanks again to Coach Boric. And thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.